And I'm Ashley. And, and this, this is Celebrity, Celebrity Memoir Book Club. Book Club. I am, me and my college friends used to always call the club the club. Uh-huh. And I thought that that was a pretty like generic joke that most people have. But in my old life, I've called the club the club a few times. Where people have them gone, I don't know what that is. And couldn't even figure it out from context clues. Where I'll be like, I want to dress slutty and go dancing at the club tonight. And they'll be like, the who? And I'm like, the club, but with an R. <laughs> and they don't get it. Well, can I just say a lot of people are uh, dumb. Yeah. What, what, what? <laughs> you can say it. <laughs> you can say it. And I, I, no, I mean, don't we believe it? Don't we live it? We live it. We see it. We smell it every time we walk out of the house. The thing is, I have no problem calling people dumb because I am dumb. And when people are dumber than me, I'm just like, what the literal fuck? If I can get something and you can't, you should die. Yeah. I, mean, I go off the rails. <laughs> you should die? I don't know. But yes, I do know they should. I am stupid. I'm like a stupid idiot. I was thinking just today about how all I can remember is like celebrity cameos in 2000s films. And I can't remember any science. Like I, You are dyslexic though. And you have adult mm-hmm. o- onset dyslexia. <laughs> and I do think you need to give yourself a lot of credit for like living with a learning disability. <laughs> Undiagnosed. That's true. I didn't stop learning until I was much older. But I did stop remembering very early on. <laughs> Um, Ashley, did you have any like life altering, physically changing things happen to you this week? Yes. I would say the most life altering physical change was my physical shift from one apartment to a different apartment in a little act we call moving. Can you, do you think your old roommate Julia is going to start listening to our podcast to like, now that she misses us, do you think she's going to miss us so much? I do think there's no way. I think that we are so fun to be around. Can you imagine if this podcast was happening in your living room, how badly you'd want to extinguish us, but then when we were gone, you'd miss it? Yeah. I think that having this happening in your living room at all times would be my dream come true, and that's why I moved here to this apartment, so that we could keep doing this in the living room at all times. I love this apartment. I'm really happy with it. I've been so happy. I've been. Ha- it's been the best weekend of my life. Um, I was thinking today, if I got a job this year that like paid me a ton of like media money, I think I would move out of my apartment with Mac. I think I would stay in the building. It's a three-unit building, but I would just want to say for one year I lived on my own because I could afford it. And so it, you made him move into that apartment and then you would leave him? <laughs> yeah, but I will say when I asked him to move in, it did not even seem possible that I could move out financially. And it still doesn't. True. It just is like, should something, should everybody in Hollywood die? <laughs> if yeah. there was like a, a Hollywood 9-11 and the only person left to do content was me and because of that I got to make a lot of money, mm-hmm. I do think I would rent a second apartment just to see what it's like to like wake up and have your own apartment. I've never, Mac it's had his own apartment so for like five years. Fun. If I go home, you can stay here. If I go home for like a week or something. It's still like just the idea that you're like, I put this thing here. Yeah. All of, all of the hotel shampoos I stole are lined up alphabetically. Just like I like I it. I mean, everything is exactly where I put it, which I love. Um, one thing that's nice is I feel like there's something when you live with roommates about, having to explain your vices, not even vices, but just like when you're in a mood or you just need to have a lazy day or you just want to have an evening or whatever. Like yesterday I was just fucking pooped and we were going to watch a movie and then I ended up staying here and I got a burrito and I watched Love and Basketball and I cried a little bit. And if I had been at home, I would have either had to do that in my room or I would have been in the living room and whenever I would watch shows in the living room, like if Julia would walk through, she would like comment on what I was watching. And I just 
it's like, don't, I know what I'm watching is, well, that movie's not stupid, but I know what I'm watching is usually dumb, but that doesn't mean you should laugh at it. You can laugh with it. Also, please don't laugh with it, but <laughs> just don't acknowledge what I'm doing. You yeah, know? I got that. You want, like I, I get that. talking with uh, my friend today about how, when you just like are hungover, you're just having like a slow morning and you just want to like go to the corner and get a bacon, egg and cheese and come back inside and like play on your phone and then someone will come through and, like, say words at you. And it's just like, uh-uh. Yeah. Sometimes, um, I know during the pandemic, there was times I felt shame for how much reality TV I watched. Yeah. And I would do this thing where when we were, like, basically quarantining at Mac's apartment, I would tell him I was going to go back to my own apartment for the day to get some work done. And then I would go to my own apartment and watch reality TV for five hours and then go home and be like, yeah, I got work done and I worked out. <laughs> and, like, obviously I could have done that at his apartment, but I just, like, didn't want him to see me. <laughs> I get that. I get you just don't want your like your even now we like it took me a while to feel comfortable to watch TV during the day because he has a job where he works pretty hard and I have a job where I slack off a lot and I would just like be watching friends and we had a TV with like TV channels on it (laughs) and for a really long time I wouldn't turn it on during the day because I was like what if he walks out and he just sees me doing whatever. Yeah, I get that fear. And again, that is why I was just, it's its not even like you're embarrassed or you don't want to be caught. You just like don't want to have to explain literally anything to anyone yeah. if you're doing an activity that may in some circumstance require explanation. Yeah. Yes. Um, so here I am, not explaining myself to a damn soul. I'm so proud of you. I'm so and excited I for you. It. It's beautiful here. We love it. I've got keys. Oh, I'm so excited about We'll do it. a tour of the apartment on the Patreon. Yeah, I need to get some more furniture. Let me know if you guys, if anyone here is like a decorator or knows of any art. If you've heard of art, mm-hmm. holler at me. Um, do you want to ask me about my week? Yeah, Claire, how was your week? Um, as always, I can't really remember. I think I had a pretty like eventful week. I feel like a lot of stuff happened, but my, my crowning glory was I got something stuck in my eye. Yeah, that was like a tough moment I also took my eye and it was in there for an hour and a half and I like could not get it out and I felt humiliated because getting something in your eye is such a small little problem to have but it would not go away and I've never had that happen to me before it was caught up in my eyelid and so like poor little Mac was like doing everything he could he was like dousing my eyes with water he made me a little eyeball bath where I he was like I had a eyeball bath is so cute (laughs) he was like you have to put your head in it and then like open your eye in there and then like look around to try to like get it but we could hard yeah, because it's been a really long time since, okay. Since you took swim lessons? I, when I plunge my head into water, I hold my nose. When I'm like under there swimming, I can not. But my instinct is if I'm going to like cannonball or do something, I do like grab for my nose. And that's embarrassing. And it's something that's like come to me as an adult. I think if I was around water more, but as you know, I don't yeah. like to be wet. I know. I think in true, like in my, I think my version, now that I think about it, of like Claire Parker not liking to be wet at all, I don't like when my face is wet. Yeah. So I, I can wash my face. Obviously I do it, but I don't, when I, even when I like go to the pool in the summertime, when I go to the beach, like I don't like, I don't even, it's not my hair. Like I can go backwards and get dunk my hair in, but I don't like when my face is wet because then you always get water in your eye and it always stings. And I do think like when I'm in a pool, if I was going to like swim, there's a forward momentum that keeps the water out of your nose, but to literally be bobbing your head, like it's bobbing for apples. It's like hard <laughs> to remember this sounds so stupid, but you go in with your eye closed because already it's a sensitive area. And then to remember to open up 
the correct eye. And then already I'm holding my eye closed. So like I'd open my eye, but it would be the wrong one because my instinct. Why didn't you open both eyes? Because I think I was just like trying to keep this eye closed for so long that my body was already trying to protect it. So like when I went to open an eye, I opened the other eye or I'd like breathe it. Like I just couldn't. I to say when you tried to open your eyes, you accidentally opened your nose. (laughs) Yes. Like I just couldn't get it. I couldn't get the mechanics right. So I'd have to hold my nose and then poor little Mackie got me a straw. No. So I could like snorkel. <laughs> That's why oh. I had a little snorkel. But then that honestly did more bad than good. Believe it or not. Because now I'm like, oh, I can breathe. But to remember to not breathe in your nose. And I'm like, so I'm like trying to hold my nose. But then if you're holding your nose with your out of water hand, you'll turn your head. And then it's like hard to get your eye in. I don't know. It's strong. But I did get it. And I was like opening it. And it. I was just breathing in water and letting eyes in every orifice. <laughs> like I was just like, honestly, I drowned my brain there basically. But long story short, we couldn't get it out still. Your brain is already in jelly. Well, I, I, not pot jelly. Pot, by the way, not, is not weed. It's literally we filled a, a spaghetti uh, pot with water yeah. for my eye bath. <laughs> Anyways, we go to City MD, and I'm so happy because I was worried that normally there's been a long line for COVID. People go in to get their COVID test, so you can't get in there. But I guess they recently changed it, so you get your number at the beginning of the day. And if you have a non-COVID-related medical problem, you can slip Skip in. the line. And let me tell you, well, first of all, thank God, because I was like, I can't go to the ER <laughs> because I got a little something in my eye because Matt could see it. He's like, it's just like a tiny little black fleck. And I was like, I can't yeah. go to an ER over a black fleck. Like this is insane. And so I was like, thank God COVID uh, city MD is open. And I go in and I could tell that the doctor was so fucking psyched to have not a COVID patient for once. He went balls to the walls. He was like, got my vitals. He's like, what's the deal? Here's like, here's what's going to happen. How long has it been happening for? Like he flips me on my back. I'm flat. He's raised the Bloody. thing. He, he was gay. Um, mm-hmm. He uses a Q-tip to flip my eyelid open. I'm in there. I'm in pain. He gets the little black fleck. I'm so relieved. I My eyelid flips back down. I sit up and I go, oh, my God, thank you so much. And he goes, no, you're going to have to lay back down. He's like, I have to go back in for more. And I was like, huh? And he's like, all I got was this tiny little black fleck. You got to go. There's got to be more in there. And I was like, I'm rolling my eye around. I'm looking. I'm like, actually... I think you got it. And he goes, no, that would be impossible. All I got was a tiny little like fleck of sand. And I was like, well, <laughs> it hurt. Okay. It seems to be solved. And I was kind of like, I don't know. Am I the princess of the pea? But, or the pea? Um, am I the princess of the pea with the eyes? Situation? But I really do feel like every I time I blinked, the pea. it like, it scraped against my fucking pupil. It hurt. And so then... He was like not satisfied with that. So he put UV drops in there and he took like a UV machine to make sure there was no cornea. And then he gave me seven days of antibiotics, which I didn't go take. Then he like triple checked. And I was just like, wow, thank you so much for your diligence. But like immediately it felt better. (laughs) Like he got it out and I was like, oh, I could go right now. I Um, know that poor man probably just did not want to go back to shoving little nasal swabs up people's little nasals. He really didn't. The conversation we had was so funny. He was getting like, can you imagine going to doctor school to become a doctor and now you've spent the last full year just shoving little swabbies up people's little nozzles? No, it sounds awful like an assistant soccer coach for girls who are prone to nosebleeds. Like, (laughs) (laughs) 
but it was funny. He was like, he was like, well, how did this happen? And I was like, I don't know. I was just outside. There was a gust of wind and I didn't shut soon enough. <laughs> and he was like, okay, where were you? Like, were you buying anything? Do you think it could be infected? I was like, well, there was construction and I was outside Joe's. He was like, so you're in Manhattan. I was like, there's a Joe's in Williamsburg. He was like, really? <laughs> he was like, they have great pizza. I was like, I know. <laughs> I was like, is this going in the chart? <laughs> It's now Monday, and I do not think that I had an eye infection. Yeah, I think I still see two eyes. So, and I'm wearing my glasses, so I can tell. Um, so, moving on, we have a great episode. I do want to plug a few things. Do yeah. you agree? I want to first plug, um, rate, review, subscribe, because boy, oh boy, do we love hitting those charts with a fervor. And if you haven't rated or reviewed us yet, um, I don't know. I just love it when you do, and I appreciate every every single one. And we know how many listeners there are, and we can see how many reviews. So we do know that there's a lot of you guys who are not doing it, and which we're is not fine. Trying to shame you, I'm not trying to shame you. you. I think you're doing a great job. But I'm just, just saying, if review. it seems like we're begging every week, and it's like, aren't they all begged out? We're not begged out. Second of all, what we're begging for, <laughs> we're not begging. We just want, if you want some bonus content, get on the Patreon. Our Patreon, which is linked in the show notes and on our all of our links on like Instagram and whatever. Um, if you subscribe to that because you just love to hear us yammer, we give extra bonus yammering and because we buy so many books and then we read them and then we do an episode and then we don't really need them. February 1st, we are going to be doing a book giveaway on the Patreon. So it's probably going to be a one day search. So if you aren't subscribed by February 1st, you're going to miss it. Yeah. Um, we're so excited. We have a lot of great books. If there was one that we really piqued your interest and you're like, I have to read it myself, we'll do a first come, first serve. I'm so excited. I love you guys so much. Yes. And last but not least, um, this week, we want to give a shout out to the Ariana Grande podcast we did with Gabby Iorio. Um, <laughs> sorry. Should I... No, I think that's close. Okay. Um, well, it was just like there was a lot of words in my head and then to get, and cause now I have to get the name of the podcast. Right. It's young, beautiful, successful. We had yes. so much fun. She sent us the Cassie David And you know, we love Ariana Grande. On, it's an Ariana Grande podcast, by the yeah, way. Yeah. But she sent us a Cassie David essay on Pete Davidson. We are so fucking vicious and cruel, but I think not unwarranted. We think we're very just. And we had, we left that podcast still in such a fury that we did a Patreon episode about it. So if you're interested, listen to our Patreon episode about it because we do think that it is an interesting juxtaposition to this week's episode, which is going to be exciting, amazing. Do you have anything else before I plug the episode that they're about to listen to? Um, no, I wish Cassie David would listen to it because if you want to be the child of someone famous and write a good funny book this is a lesson in how to do so we are so excited we are reading the incredible carrie fisher's uh drinking wishful, wishful drinking, drinking with the hilarious serena shahidi from uh how to ruin your life how do you ruin, let your, me life, ruin your life let me ruin your life podcast and the glam demon 2004 tiktok which is huge um we have so much fun talking about it check out her podcast check out her content and check us out here. Uh, Carrie Fisher was the daughter of huge celebrity Debbie Reynolds and crooner and lover of the stars, Eddie Fisher. She grew up in Hollywood. She's kind of related to everybody. Um, you'll find out all of the old Hollywood connections she has. She grew up to become an actress. You may know her as Princess Leia of Star Wars. She was also in one of my favorite movies of all time, When Harry Met Sally. She's the best friend. 
uh, to Sally. She has a daughter named Billy Lord. She famously was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. She struggled with drug addiction, mental health addiction, mental health addiction, mental health problems. She was went to rehab. She was a ardent supporter of the AA program, but she did slip off a few times. She wrote uh, Postcards from the Edge, which was a semi-autobiographical book that got turned into a movie that starred Meryl Streep and was incredible. And then she wrote this incredible stage play that she performed, Wishful Drinking, but then she turned into a book. It's really incredible. It's one of the few books me and Ashley legitimately recommend. We loved it so much. We can't wait to get into the story about her experiences of all those things, being a celebrity child, being somebody with bipolar disorder and being a drug addict and also what it's like to be very, very funny all the time. Have your job. I am so excited to sit down with some may know your fans may know you as Glam Demon. Is that <laughs> Serena Shah- my Shahidi? Glam Demonators may know me as such. Oh my God, is that what they're called? Glam, glam Demonators. That's what I call them. Um, and that is someone's username on Twitter who like explains all of my tweets. I wow. love that you have I a translator. How, <laughs> Isn't it crazy? How complex are your tweets? What are <laughs> not? not they basically <laughs> just rephrase that. It's it's an easy job, I would say. I love that. Uh, I remember, do you know Rachel Sennett? She's, yes. she's a comic friend of ours. And I remember thinking when she made it was when there was a Rachel Sennett bot that was just creating oh like my God. algorithm tweets like of hers. I feel like when I made it was when she followed me on Twitter. Yes. Huge. She's very... <laughs> we are so excited. You picked Carrie Fisher. I picked Carrie Fisher. I'm so excited. Had Love you that. read... So this is her memoir. It's called Wishful Drinking. It turns out she had a book that turned into a movie that starred Meryl Streep called... Postcards, Postcards from, from the, the edge. edge. Have you read that by any chance? I have not. I, this made me want to read that. Can I say that I think this, I'm so grateful that you brought this book into our lives because <laughs> this was like a good celebrity memoir. Like she's a writer. It is well written. She has a story to tell. Yes. She was in her 50s when she wrote it. So it's not some 32 year old being like, here's what I learned oh, in I the last so year of my 20s. When it's like 25 year old influencers. And it's like, Things have only happened to me in the last two years yeah. of my life. Yeah. Here's my insight into being 23. Now that I'm 24, I can look back. Um, <laughs> okay, so what? why did you pick this book? What is your relationship to Carrie? What brought us here? Okay, so I've never seen any of her movies. Good. Uh, I've certainly never seen Star Wars. Um, Same. Or, yeah, any of the ones she was in. But my introduction to Carrie Fisher, I did speech and debate in high school. I don't know if you guys did too, but uh, good for you. Um, <laughs> you and Rory Gilmore, though. I mean, it's for the the hotties. I mean, we have everything in common, really. But uh, a friend of mine in speech and debate, her name is Hala, shout out. She did an event called Humorous Interpretation, where basically they would take like scripts or books or stuff like that and turn it into like a 10 minute monologue and block it out and perform it and she did this book so like stand-up comedy for nerds is that what they they were like humorous interpretation for speech and debate feels very like i think it's like stand-up for preteens or teenagers how old is a high school stand-up for your college resume (laughs) we can't write our own jokes because nothing has happened to us especially considering the fact that we do speech and debate so you know we're not (laughs) getting invited to parties so kind of have to use like Someone else's material. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Good practice. Um, Anyway, so did you... So that was like your first intro to Carrie Fisher entirely? Yes. Had no idea who she was before that. I mean, that's like... This is such a good 
intro. Like this is such a, I don't know. It's so weird because everything she's saying is so deeply unhinged, but she's so likable in it. And I think it's because she's not trying to be likable in any way. It's incredible. And so did you read the book after that or had you just always had this like positive idea of Carrie Fisher? I think I've read, I might've read this book. I've definitely read a book by Carrie Fisher. I don't, Mm-hmm. really remember which one, but I've always just loved her, read like so many interviews with her, uh, just love what she has to say in general. She's a great, I mean, she talks about in this book, she got the opportunity to write Postcards from the Edge, which she wrote while she was in rehab. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, because she had been so witty and funny in interviews and good yeah. Lord, if that is not my fucking, I'm out here trying, <laughs> I'm out here every day trying so hard to be witty every time I talk to somebody and yet nobody is even trying to talk to me a second time. So yeah, maybe someone will offer me a book deal based on like one of my TikToks. I mean, yeah, I honestly do will. think that that's I don't possible. think that you'll leave 2021 without a book deal. I'm going to be one of those, uh, 20 somethings writing a memoir. Yeah, well, Can't you'll wait. do what uh, that Bean Dad did. Did you guys? Were you guys familiar with the Bean Dad thing? He was like that. No, he had a tweet. I heard a little bit I about mean, it like, on a podcast. Familiar with Bean Dad, but I'm not familiar with like the way that this is relevant that to what we're talking unfolded. about. <laughs> oh no, I mean nothing happened because you know um, there was an impeachment and Trump incited a riot, so people kind of forgot about Bean Dad. But one of the things that came out is he had a book of his own tweets where like it was just each page was a tweet that he had turned into a book. So I just think if he could turn tweets into a book, you can How turn TikToks into tweets? a book. Because I feel like I could do that. Yeah, literally everyone could do that. I don't, nobody couldn't do that. <laughs> what if I did that with one of those like Vista print, like I just like made my, is that what he did? He like made his own I'm really curious as to like into what, a book? what the tweets are looking like. Like, you know, when you like print we a photo book from a family vacation. Yeah. I mean, you could. <laughs> and what I would recommend for you is like, do it. Don't say you self-published it. And then just talk about it a lot on Twitter and Instagram. That's a good idea. And people will just assume, oh, Ashley's tweets must have been turned into a book. <laughs> Honestly, only my mom would believe it, but she also would buy it. So it's <laughs> not my worry. <laughs> okay. So let's, I mean, get into the book. One of my favorite things about this book is it is heavy, heavy, heavy. And then it also, yeah. but in like this incredible breezy, light, easy to consume way. And it is jam packed with the exact celebrity stories you want to hear. If you care about old Hollywood, you should just pick it oh up yourself. God, Did you have a favorite celebrity name drop? Cause I'm going to go through all of them. <laughs> um, I have to say the part where she was talking about her parents trying to get her help for drugs and Cary Grant called her for it. And then I think at one point, would she overdose or something? Her mom called Ava yes. Gardner. It's so incredible. Oh the like old Hollywood legacy that just like is her family friends. <laughs> yes. So if you guys don't know, her parents are Eddie Fisher, who's famous for dating famous women. He was famous in his own right, but today his legacy only stands as he was linked to a lot of famous women. Mm-hmm. And his mother was, her mother was Debbie Reynolds. You might know from Singing in the Rain. There was, she and like, a ton Halloween of other stuff. Town. Halloween Town. I mean, <laughs> she was like in everything. And... Then famously, the dad left the mom for Elizabeth Taylor. He, Elizabeth Taylor left the dad. I mean, just a lot of and fun. And left, Eliz- left the mom for Elizabeth Taylor, who was with their like couple's best friend, best friend yeah. who they named their son after. Who yes. died in a plane crash. So the yeah. story there is like a, two years after she was born or something, their couple best friend, Elizabeth Taylor, and I think Mike Todd is his name. Yeah. He was like a producer of film. They were married. He died in a car, in, not in a plane, a plane crash. crash. He says he took off on a plane in a stormy night and it crashed. And I was like, is that still happening? <laughs> and <laughs> I was like, is it rain all it takes? And then anyway, he literally that week flew out to console Elizabeth Taylor. And she has such a funny way of saying it. She's like, first he was there to be by her side. And then she was, he was there to be in her front. And then he consulted with her <laughs> penis. And 
I mean, the way that she talks about her dad is so cutting and hysterical. I mean, she the way she introduces him, she says that her mom... When she's introducing her parents, she says her mom was an icon and her dad was like a consort to icons, I think, is yeah, the way she says. Even at the end, she has thank yous. And I just want to quote how she thanks her dad. Because I think, and then we're going to talk about this later, I think what makes this such an incredible memoir, and it's so fun to read, and it, you love her so much, is in no way does she have any self-pity. She does not at mm-hmm. any point ask you to feel sorry for herself. And she often makes the point of being like, I did not have it worse than people. I had a privileged life. Just some of these stories are interesting and funny because I'm famous. And she even calls out that it's nothing can be related back to the way she was raised because her brother was raised in the exact same way and like does not have these issues. Do you yeah, know what so I mean? she's she, very like, I'm not blaming anyone. I'm not asking for sympathy. But she says at the end in the acknowledgments, to my father, Puff Daddy, who gave in part by taking away. Thanks for the highest grade of absence available on earth. Like, what a hilarious way to shade your father the with all the love. highest grade of absence. She even says, she like plugs his book been there, done that, and calls it been there, done them. I mean, I think one of my personal favorite name drop stories has to do with her dad, and it's about the fact that he went to Princess Grace's um, funeral, even though he did not know her, just to, like, see and be seen there. Like, you have to be the lowest of the low to be shown up at... Like, I mean, literally, that's, like, the wedding crasher's turn. Like, not even a funeral. This is a royal funeral. Like, Hollywood royalty and royalty royalty... And he is just there in Monaco to get his photo taken. And he runs into Cary Grant and is like, please call my daughter. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So back to, and back to your story. Yes. So you can, you can give him a little insight on what the Cary Grant experience was for her. Um, so Cary at the time was experimenting with drugs. I think her father thought she was addicted to acid. Yes. Yeah. Which I don't believe is possible. Um, yeah. She also re- reminds us that that is not possible. Yeah. <laughs> and also points out that her dad never saw her. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so her dad runs into Cary Grant and is like, I would like for you to call my daughter and talk about this because apparently I think he did a clinical study with acid. Yeah. And so he calls Carrie. Carrie is just absolutely starstruck, but has like a few calls with him. Yeah. Well, this is the, the irony <laughs> yeah. is this is the second call with Carrie Grant because her mother had already oh, set yeah. them up on a phone call yeah. to talk about her acid problem. And what's weird is so they end up having three calls in total. They end up talking for like over an hour each time about like mm-hmm. about parenting, about being a dad, about drug addiction, about sardom. At one point, they both bond over how they both hate Chevy Chase. <laughs> that was, I think, my favorite part. I just like love the throwaway conversation about how they both have worked with Chevy Chase and think he's the worst. I like really think for like this. So I one thing I think in memoirs is sometimes they like tell a random story that like really has no place there. And sometimes I think it's just because they like don't know what to cut out. But this book is pretty brief. And I think the fact that it's left in is like such a testament to how shitty Chevy Chase is. Yes. That, like, I love <laughs> how the hatred for Chevy, Ch- Chevy Chase in Hollywood with anyone who's ever worked with him or spoken to him. It runs so deep. So deep. Like everyone is so apologetic and all that about hating anyone else or telling stories about anyone else that makes them look bad. No one gives a fuck about Chevy Chase. I mean, to have pissed off everyone from Cary Grant to Cary Fisher to Donald Glover, I you mean, have to be yeah. an asshole in every direction. For generations. For generations. <laughs> I mean, and it's not just like, oh, you, you, you didn't get along with this. You guys had two different personalities. Like, how... You have to have a personality that is universally despised to get along with, to not get along with so many people. I mean, it's insane. And I just feel like 
for him to have been so beloved in like a pre-internet age is so interesting. The way that as soon as anyone had any place to say anything about him, everyone was just like, he's horrible. He's horrible and I hate him. I wonder if it's one of those things, like, you know how in every like large group, there's one person that everyone can just like bond by talking about how much they suck because they just objectively suck. Yes. I feel like he's that in Hollywood. Like, I think everyone can just like universally get comfortable with each other by being like, I hate Chevy Chase. In what way do you hate Chevy Chase? And then they like warm up to each other. In like the stand up world, there's this one person. (laughs) If you run out of something to say, you can be like, do you hate this girl? And almost everybody does. In my college, should I name who it was in my college? It was this girl, Elle Roche. I love that. (laughs) Her name was Elle Roche. I think she works at Google now on the West Coast. But it really was one of these things where it's like, I don't know. They don't have internet there, so they won't hear. Yeah. (laughs) But like, just everybody hated her. And it was funny for like a, and everyone had their own reason for hating her, their own unique experience. Wait, who does everyone hate in stand up? (laughs) So yeah, I just feel like it's, it's like almost like a nice to have that one. Like, I feel like that's the one good thing about Chevy Chase is that he's like given people that common person to shit talk yeah. like you're not going to meet someone who's like actually they're always very nice to me because he's not nice to anybody <laughs> that's the yeah. worst when you start shit talking somebody and then all of a sudden they're like oh that's actually my friend and you're like god fucking damn it <laughs> yes. but Chevy also, Chase who can't shit talk their friends like come on it's like you're obviously not very good friends <laughs> yeah you, you, if you haven't don't, seen their flaws yet <laughs> if you don't feel comfortable if, you, if your relationship can't bend it's gonna break exactly <laughs> So, okay, my favorite is this. You can tell the date of this publication because there's a lot of George W. Bush. Yeah. And it's like, oh, God, what I would do to go back to a time when George W. was the punching bag president. (laughs) (laughs) Who knew what was coming? Um, She has this story. So it opened, like, the way she makes this tragedy and comedy is genius. So it opens with um, one of the horrible things that happened in her life is she woke up one day next to her best friend who had died in the middle of the night in her bed. Yeah. And she has a lot of funny jokes about the trauma that comes with that and like what that's like. And um, she talks about how he was like a gay Republican, like one of the first of his kind. <laughs> and which is funny to me. Cause I'm like, God, that is such a type. Like I can't, I can't even imagine knowing the archetype archetype of that. But uh, he had the story of working with George W. Bush when he was just, senior son and that his go-to party trick was farting on command and that whenever her friend had a had a meeting w would come in fart all over the place and then leave and just like he would be stuck in a stinky fart room and it's like i cannot believe that man was allowed to start a war that killed a million iraqis (laughs) like a man who can fart on command to fuck with people and it's like and why did he he just farts I mean, I mean, he, he did. basically did. <laughs> it was like deadly. I mean, <laughs> drones are just, oh my God, I don't want to get into poop jokes, but I'm, oh, so I'm silent, not- <laughs> but deadly, but also not silent, you know, yeah, <laughs> loud and deadly. Silent, but deadly is our take on the media's response to the fact <laughs> that there is still a war in the Middle East that the U.S. has begun. So my, do we have other, fa- I mean, we talked about the Ava Gardner. So one of the funny things is their parents, I guess, just like ran around and any celebrity that they could get their hands yeah. on were like indebted to them in this. I feel like everybody worked for their family. So they- it's so, I mean, it's just because through like their web of, cause both of her parents were married 
half a dozen times. Like both of her parents got married a lot. And I feel like through family, friends, married, whatever, like she is related to all of Hollywood in this weird way. And if she's not related to you, then you're like a 15 minutes of fame, unimportant idiot. Yeah, you know what like I mean? Trisha oh, yeah. Paytas. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, if you are not in some way weirdly like once removed cousins with Carrie Fisher, then you're probably like nobody. You certainly don't have a dynasty. I mean, the funniest, (laughs) she opens with having to do a family tree to show that Billy, Billy Lord, her daughter, who you guys may know, because I only know her from Booksmart, which I thought she was great in, actually. She was also in Scream Queens. Yeah, you know, in books. Wait, did you see it? (laughs) No. But she's also in Scream Queens, which is honestly a really fun show. You know how, like, there's some celebrities that you, like, see on Instagram and you're just like, I think that I would, I think you're probably cool, but, like, Probably not. I feel like she's like Ariana Grande in that way where she's like handled horrible tragedies in a very public Mm. way well. And I am very impressed by her. Yeah, I mean, I honestly was delighted by her performance. So God bless. I hope she does well. (laughs) But she talks about how she was going to date this man named Reese who was Elizabeth Taylor's granddaughter. And they literally had to like get out the get out the old web of family and make sure they weren't related anyway. Oh, yeah. It gets legitimately confusing at times. Just the web of celebrities that is woven in this book. Mm-hmm. And so many also they so come many from names. my favorite thing about like golden era Hollywood is that everyone had to get married to fuck. Oh, so yeah. it's like a perfect, it's so funny. It's like every time you get horny, the government has to get involved. So people will be like, I got married nine times. And you're like, nowadays that's just a 2am drunken mistake. Do you know what I mean? Now all you have yeah. is like an Uber receipt in your email that you send to spam. I think we should bring it back. Yeah. I love that like style of like dating. All dating that's marriage. Gay. Yeah. All the girls were sluts. Yeah. All Everyone the guys were gay. It's like my friend group right now. I mean, Carrie yeah, Fisher talks about how she, um, turns everyone she dates gay because obviously her type based on just like the environment she grew up in. I also do believe I used to see in high school, it was very clear who like, the guys who were going to come out as gay were dating and like why they would pick that girl. And I feel like I saw a lot of gay guys dating the religious girl who was saving herself for marriage. Cause they mm-hmm. got to be like, Oh no, we can't have sex. Womp, womp. <laughs> <laughs> it sucks. You're so in love with God. <laughs> but I feel like I could see how Carrie Fisher would end up with a lot of gay men because she is so over the top. She is so manic. And I do believe like she's so likable and lovable in this book. But if you've ever met somebody with, a mood disorder, a mental illness. I mean, there's a lot of energy that goes right back into themselves. It's a yeah. pretty narcissistic, like kind of like blinded to reality. I don't want to say it's self-absorbed, but it, does, it takes a lot of energy and you're not always seeing things clearly. And she I do think it'd be easy to get, date a gay man. An incredible way of describing it that I luckily just flipped to. She says when you have like the disorder, she has the emotional fiction that you're responding to differs. And yes. I was like, that mm. is very well put like the way that she just like receives information and like takes it to a whole new place is just like times a thousand compared to a regular brain and then I think the other thing she said that I thought was so insightful was she compares it to like the weather in that your emotional reality is completely distinct from what's actually happening in your personal life. Much Mm -hmm. like it doesn't matter if you're getting married, it's going to rain. She's like the way I am in a manic stage or in a depressive stage. It has nothing to do with the fact that I'm having a good day or a bad day. It's completely happening of its own accord. And it's not, it's not coming from the inputs. It's coming from like the inside. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. She got electroshock therapy too, which she talks about in the book. Mm -hmm. Is that still a thing? Yes, because Gary Goleman, a comedian, just got it. And he, if anybody's looking, he has Uh, a great thing about it. Yeah, (laughs) may we all get to forget all of it. What a reset. Do you know what I mean? Truly the Nintendo, turn it off, blow on it, put it back in (laughs) of human psyche. 
So that is kind of the impetus for this project because this book was a a one-woman play kind of thing first. And she says that writing down her life experiences sort of was kicked off by receiving electroshock therapy and like wanting to, needing to sort of like hit the reset button and recall who she is and sort of coming Mm -hmm. out of that very intensive treatment and being like, I am the daughter of these very famous people. I am part of this absolutely iconic film franchise. Every teenage boy in the history of America (laughs) has jerked, not America, the world is like constantly jerking off to her. Mm -hmm. I mean, I honestly to, I mean, sorry, you finish your thought and then I want to get into that because I thought that what she had to say about George Lucas and what she has to say about that role was very interesting and reminded me a lot of the Emrata essay. Mm-hmm. I guess you finish your thing before I like... <laughs> oh, no, I was just going to say that. So writing down her life and her thoughts and like... I, I feel like this book is like a very clear person sorting through what have I dealt with. It's a little bit manic. Like sometimes there's paragraphs that feel a little all over the place, but then it's also very, here's what happened. I did this. I did this. Let's go back to that. Okay, and now we're here. I um, I thought her discussions about what it's been like to be Princess Leia and be like this superstar role that kind of has a life of its own was so interesting and it reminded me a lot of the Emrata essay. Mm-hmm. She talks a lot about like going to, um, what are those cons called? Like whatever, Star Wars cons and seeing like a new sex doll version of herself. What it's like to have a Pez dispenser that looks like you. What's it's like her Princess Leia photo is now in the psychology textbook for bipolar disorder. And it's interesting because she called, she had to call up George Lucas one time and say, okay, you own my likeness in this character, but don't like, she saw a sex doll with her own vagina or something. And it reminded me a lot about like how disorienting it must be. And especially with somebody who already can kind of like lose touch with reality to be yeah. seeing projected back to you these versions of yourself that kind of take on their own life. And she talks about growing up when you have a mother who's a star and always in the shows, her mom filmed two different movies while she was pregnant with her. I mean, that bitch was working and she was like, I would mix up who my mother was in the characters. I'd see her on TV and I think that's my mother. And I just think that that's an interesting, like when you have that from your mom and you have that all around you and then you have that for yourself, like who are you when so much of your image and your life is determined by the stories you tell, like the fictional yeah. stories. Yeah. But then speaking of other people, it's so weird. And then, but then speaking of like that sort of like trauma and maybe not necessarily trauma, but like very confusing thing to sort through. She also had like a brilliant joke in there where she was like, George Lucas owns my likeness. Every time I look in the mirror, I owe him money. Yeah. And I was like, mm. that is, that line made me laugh. And maybe that was, she's like, that's why he's so rich because I'm so vain. Yeah. <laughs> Can I just say, I have a baby photo uh, also in an abnormal psychology textbook. <laughs> why? Is it? Because uh, my mother's a copy editor. She was editing an abnormal psychology textbook. There was one part that was talking about like just genetic, like ba- very basic genetic stuff it was like oh siblings look alike and they didn't have a photo in that section so she just put a baby photo of me and my brother and it's like now in that abnormal psychology textbook I feel like it was really like a self-fulfilling prophecy no I feel like that's yeah it is like I want to be the definition of something abnormal (laughs) do you and your brother look alike to this day 
Uh, not really. Interesting. Well, <laughs> you're going to go back in and find some a way you're like more abnormal. <laughs> yeah, I'll have an adult picture in one of those yeah, textbooks one day. That's the goal. Have them update it. Be like, I, I still want to be in this book, but like, let's you know look yeah. deeper at me and see I what's send up. Send them a selfie. <laughs> yeah. Send them a TikTok screenshot. Like, just be like, you guys pick the disease, but let me know <laughs> what you think comes I can across be the here. Face of anything, I can really work it. You name it. Um, I'm trying to think. Was there any la- the way George Lucas comes across? How did how did you feel George Lucas comes across in this book? So he was the director. Yes. I know yeah. nothing about Star Wars. Okay, um, <laughs> he definitely came across. I don't know. It was so much of it was hard to tell the difference between George Lucas as a person and George Lucas like the owner of Carrie's image and yeah. almost like a director of like a large part of her life. Yeah. yeah, I mean the whole. I know it's like iconic now. I think, but the idea that they don't wear underwear in space—that oh yeah—I had heard the story, and this is so funny. I don't know if this is me misreading or just like the media taking things, but I had always heard that they did get to like uh, lottery off who got to take the tape off her breasts every night. But sh- that's a joke she made in this book, and I just think that's. I don't know if I misread that, but I don't think I did. I think it was like sold as a headline that on the really? set of Star Wars. That they would, interesting. They would like gamble who got to take the tape off her because for some reason there's no bras in space, but they could tape them shut. So I don't understand what the difference was, but whatever. <laughs> um, but th- that's a joke she makes in this book is that she's like, I always thought that they should gamble off who got to take the tape off me every night and then somehow that got twisted and it was like this woman was and I was like don't take her joke from her (laughs) yeah I mean that is some stupid media shit that they love to do just be like this woman is like owning a thing that like might have been a little fucked up and making it funny and instead they're like the trauma (laughs) (laughs) I mean George Lucas comes up a lot he's always at like dinner parties he's always he's never uh, portrayed well he always comes off like a robot she talks about when it was a huge hit and he like they use CGI to make it look like he smiled. <laughs> and um, he's always there being like, I don't know. He, he doesn't come off nice. They met up during the play and he like corrected her on something. He, he seems like an annoying uncle, like an autistic uncle that you just have to like deal with. Yeah. I will say he never came off to me like specifically bad, but he never came off good. Like she wasn't like shit talking him the way that like Holly shit talked Hef the whole time. Like it wasn't, necessarily being like we hate him we dislike him but I think that she like doesn't quite know how to feel about him because it is like a confusing situation yeah but he doesn't seem like warm he doesn't seem like somebody you want to be your friend (laughs) no 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 he doesn't come off as like my god I'd love to know that man like in the way that Cary Grant I'm like wow to have had a phone conversation with Cary Grant that does seem fun (laughs) oh yeah I like had to look up who Cary like what all these people look like to double check can I say something controversial are you going to say that he's not that handsome? No. I'm going to okay. say that Elizabeth um, Taylor does not do it for me the way Ava Gardner does. I would agree with that. Yeah. Ava Gardner to me is so fucking beautiful in a way that's just like in every generation, she would have been the most beautiful woman. I look at Elizabeth Taylor and I'm like, I know I'm told she's beautiful. All I see is Liza Minnelli. Mm, There's no way she had purple eyes, by the way. Like, yeah. can everyone shut the fuck up about that? Yeah. She had deep yeah. blue eyes. Yeah. Relax. I feel the same way. I do think she's a lot of um, confidence and legend. She had huge tits. Now that we can buy tits, I feel like huge tits aren't as important. Mm-hmm. Because I did used to just have to be just like, a, you're like a freak anomaly with a big old bosom and a tiny little waist. And now that feels more attainable to anybody. But she's never really done it for me. 
I, I like can look at her and see how she's beautiful, but like she's not. Like I remember when I was like younger, the first time I saw Audrey Hepburn, and I was like, "What the fuck?" Like <laughs> she's so pretty, or like Bridget Bardot. Oh, yeah, Bridget Bardot. I mean, absolutely. Ava Gardner is someone you look at and you go, "Grace Kelly." You're just yeah. like, "How yes. does?" I'm like, "Will they sand down her features to just marbleize perfection?" Some people you look at and you go, "I mean, they stand the test of time." To me, Elizabeth Taylor doesn't strike yeah. me. Yeah, some of those like golden age beauties are just like, oh. Just the beauty standard was a little different back then. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, someone like Ava Gardner is just like, to this day, absolutely striking. Yes. Mm-hmm. Elizabeth yes. Taylor, it's like... Mm. I mean, and I'll tell the Ava Gardner story real quick. I think she was in a hotel room in London for one of her dad's like eight weddings or whatever. And I think it was one of her mom's weddings. I think it was London. She said, because oh. she made that joke. She goes, I never missed one of my parents' weddings. <laughs> but um, she, whatever, whoever's wedding, she, something happened she never really says whether she OD'd or was just asleep or what, but she wouldn't answer the phone. And yeah. her mom, in a panic, called Ava Gardner <laughs> and had her go get her. And I guess Ava Gardner just shows up at the hotel lobby and by virtue of being Ava Gardner is given permission to enter the room of a young girl. <laughs> and so the, they just take her and sure enough, there she was. She was fine. But it, it's just so funny to think. Like, imagine if Angelina Jolie was like your emergency contact. Like, <laughs> yeah. like imagine throwing up at camp and being like, I need to go home. And your mom's like, well, I'm on set. So Angelina is going to come get you. <laughs> and the fact that she just shows up. Like, that's, uh, that's the craziest part. I know. I mean, I feel like that was like just such a different time in Hollywood where like these mega celebrities were still people. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like now it's just like there's such a series of assistants that would have been tasked with showing up there. Mm-hmm. And it just like wasn't like, th- I don't know. Also, I think the paparazzi culture of today makes it so that you're a star always. Mm-hmm. I will say, I guess um, Carrie talks about being young, going shopping with her mom and how it always felt like she never had her mom to herself and mm-hmm. people would kind of attack them in the stores and want photos. But I don't think anything back then was like it is today. Like, I don't think you could ever. Totally, totally. No. So I want to get into this one thing that she said that was like deeply life-changing for me. (laughs) She says that there is a difference. I think this was advice from a therapist, but there's a difference between problems and inconveniences. And she says by that logic, which she like really carried with her, she's had three and a half enormous problems in her life. And I think that that's such an interesting way to look at it. And they are mental illness, drug addiction, and having a friend wake up or her waking up next to a dead friend. And then yeah. I think her her half. husband and the father of her daughter being gay is considered a half of a problem. Yeah, she says yeah. half is relationship. So like being married to Paul Simon and that didn't go well. And then marrying a gay dude obviously didn't have a great <laughs> outcome because he left her for a man. Um, I think I want to, and she says the way she defines the difference between a problem and inconvenience, I think is so interesting. She says a problem derails your life. Yeah. And inconvenience is not finding a good seat on the the still railed train. And I have to say, I looked at my life and I thought, I guess I have zero problems. Oh, yeah. 100%. I was like, I would love to sit down, but I guess that's not that big of a deal. (laughs) I'm like, it's inconvenient to me that I... I'm spending all this money decorating my apartment and I don't know if I love how it's coming out. <laughs> I don't know that that... I really feel that. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't really, looks really wake good. up to many dead people. Yeah. But I live in a twin size bed so I feel like that would be more, yes. you know, traumatizing. You would not yes. just like wake up to them. You'd Depends wake up under the... or above them. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Just on this cold being. Yeah, that would be tough. Um, so I wanted to like sort of walk through these situations. Yeah. 
these problems. Mm-hmm. So which one do you guys want to start with? What are they? Mental illness. Mental illness, drug addiction, and um, waking up next to a dead guy. Let's <laughs> do waking up next to a dead guy because you yeah, can kind of... She, she does that first in the book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That I think was really interesting the way that like she sort of opens with it and then comes back to it a few times and mm-hmm. also mentions it's sort of like woven into her treatments for the drug addictions and mental illness. And she later acknowledges that she probably had PTSD from that experience. But like because she was dealing with these other like mountains, it just never really came up. That one's interesting because it is like a freak occurrence. Yeah. Like, I mean, Mm. and I think she does a really good job talking about how drug addiction and like mental illness, like they kind of went hand in hand. She very interestingly says she had to get sober to even realize she had a mental illness because Mm -hmm. she used the drugs and alcohol to almost tamp herself down to be less of herself. And that like, assuaged the symptoms which is interesting I don't think you would think yeah. that but and also what drug addiction can like mimic mental illness yes exactly. yeah yeah she says she like didn't quite accept her mental illness until she like was in the program and realizing that everyone else was kind of like leveling out the soberer they got and she was going more and more off the rails and she was like wait a second <laughs> mm-hmm. Maybe there's more. <laughs> I mean, the way she talks about AA in the in the twelve step program is she's like, anytime I stopped being sober, it wasn't because of them; it was because of me. She takes full responsibility. She really does mm-hmm. it's for everything, and she talks about not wanting to let down Billy, her daughter, how it sucks to let down her mother. I mean, she laughs at her mother's eccentricities, but never blames her. She everything she does says is said with such love and such with this understanding. It's like a real um, what's that pyramid of needs? Maslow's. Maslow's. Yes, I feel like she's a real good sense of. I had food, I had clothes, I had a family who loves me, even if my dad was mm-hmm. gone a lot. I, yeah. I have grandparents. And that's a hard thing to do, like, when you're a regular person in America, let alone, yes. like, someone that privileged. Yes. Like, I, I'm terrible at practicing gratitude. And yeah, me I'm, totally. I've never spoken to Cary Grant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And before, the way that she does such a good job of being, like, is my mother different than a lot of others? Yeah, but like she loves me so much. She lives next door. Yeah. She's always been there for me. Mm-hmm. She's taking like <laughs> I think she makes a joke. She goes, she's like, well, my mother was there. She goes, I'm like a daughter to my mother. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I don't know. It's like really the way she's able to take accountability in this book. I think is it's part mm-hmm. of why you love her so much because it's yeah. I it, mean, I think that you can really see that like all the actions she takes to better herself are because she has so much love in her life i mean the way she writes about her daughter she worships her daughter it like really broke my heart Mm. (laughs) to read about it because it's holy shit their relationship like there's just like this one paragraph towards the end of the book where she just brags about her daughter she's just like she is really good at this really good at this really good at this really good at this anyway one time i was shopping or like it's just like an unrelated situation where she's just like obsessed with her daughter and i was like Oh, fuck. Um, anyway, but like, I do think that she does mention that all of the doing electroshock therapy, which is fucking intense and made her forget a lot of stuff. She does these treatments because she like knows that she has a lot of issues that she needs to work out and like cannot get through on her own. She needs to do it for her mom and her daughter. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I mean, as Serena reminded me when she got here today, (laughs) Carrie does end up dying of a drug overdose mm-hmm. after this book comes out. And her-, her mother dies the next day. And I, I forget the exact quote you told me. Uh, her, her mom said to her brother, like, the day she died or the day Carrie died, you know, it was 
almost the same day, she was just like, I want to be with Carrie. Like, she was... I'm, like, in a car... Like, the, like, the day that Carrie was dead and she wasn't, she was just, like, not not there. Yeah. Which is so... It oh, is so... so heartbreaking. I will say, like, reading this book and, like, reading the way she talks about her family and reading the way that, like, she didn't want to die... Yeah. ...was, like, so hard to read knowing that she did... I mean, yeah. she definitely talks about how eccentric her family is, and they're definitely different. But and she acknowledges she's like it's just, and they were different because they were famous, and she knows that's a fun thing to hear about because they're famous. But also, like her mom lived next door to her for her adult life. Yes. Like her yeah. mom took her on the road with her. They did a nightclub act together. Like her mom loved her so much, and they like loved. One of the crazier stories I thought was that story about how one Christmas her mom gave. Debbie Reynolds gave her own mother and her daughter vibrators oh, yeah. in their yeah. stocking. And then the grandmother refused to use it because of her pacemaker. She thought the pace. <laughs> and then she said, I've gone this long without an orgasm. I can make it to the end. And I was just like, oh no, <laughs> but don't. I mean, what a, like that is eccentric as shit. That's crazy. Yeah. That's such a grandma thing to say though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She was afraid to short circuit the pacemaker. And then Carrie oh, points out that the pacemaker God. was recalled anyway. So. <laughs> Oh, God. It was just, like, really... I mean, yeah. I feel like she talks about death, like, kind of a lot Mm -hmm. in this book in a way where it's, like, wow, she really does, like, have all this mental illness. She is a drug addict, and she, like, acknowledges that these things could kill her, and she, like, does not want them to. And so Mm -hmm. I feel like reading that really fucked with me. That's true. But I also, I don't know, there's something about when people regard someone who's struggling with someone their whole life and eventually dies of it, they regard that as a failure that I just like, I don't like, yes, she was addicted to drugs. Yes. She suffered with mental illness. Yes. That was ultimately the way she died, but like she still lived such a life and was like sober for much of it. She had a child. She had this love for so many people. She wrote these things and made this impact on people. And it's like, you know, that doesn't totally. feel like a failure of no. life to me just because I don't think so. it ended with some cocaine. She, she did not <laughs> need to live as long as the rest of us. So yeah. She, was, yeah. she didn't. Oh, we're not going to have those types of stories. She, yeah. got, it all, she got a lot done. Um, um, and I'm, I actually am glad you brought that up because something I wanted to mm-hmm. talk about with this book is I mean, I know we all live in New York. We're all like really steeped in the e-girl. We're all depressed. We're all anxious. We're all <laughs> fucked up. We're, who doesn't have borderline personality disorder? You know what I mean? But I do think, one, for the rest of America today, and two, for America at the time of this book, which was just like 10, 15 years ago, it was truly groundbreaking and brave for her to be the face of bipolar. And she makes a joke yeah. of that she's always getting awards for being crazy. And she's like, I guess that's better than being like runner up bipolar woman. But I think <laughs> what she does with this book of like openly and bravely talk about what it is to be an interesting, successful, funny, loved, loving woman who's had her ups and downs and does struggle with this thing. Like it's so insightful on how to love someone. It really, I, I would feel that if I had someone in my family struggling with it, if I myself was struggling with it, it would really destigmatize it and make me feel less alone. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think that like now, I mean, even not being steeped in like Brooklyn or like New York, everyone goes to therapy, whatever. Like I think Mm. that in the last couple of years, like it has been so much more common to like open up about therapy or mental illness or whatever, like Pete Davidson being borderline personality disorder or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. I do think that this book really helped like kick off those conversations in a really important way. 
and like there's still obviously so much work to be done like I'm from the Midwest and there it's like I don't know I like one time mentioned potentially going to therapy and my parents were like for what (laughs) and I was like I don't know I feel like anyone who listens to the podcast would get it (laughs) that's true listen to the pod (laughs) find out they do (laughs) they do and they're still just like but for what (laughs) oh my god anyway but I do think that like the way that she I mean she talks about being in therapy since she was like 15 and then she also talks about going to several therapists and like not believe not meshing well with some of them and I yeah, think that's also the, an important thing oh that's such a pain in the ass with therapy it have is. you have you had to go on like a lot of therapy first dates or so many therapy first dates yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah I mean I'm not in therapy anymore I have a psychiatrist but that's mm-hmm. all you know. I had my old psychiatrist in Hoboken he's a prescribing Adderall was named Dr. Michael Jackson really I thought you went to Dr. Islam uh eventually because Dr. Michael Jackson was like <laughs> He, I mean, it was like $200 an hour and literally I would sit down and he would be like, how's that all going? And I'd be like, good. He'd be like, do you want to change it? I'd be like, no. He'd be like, you think it's working? I'd be like, yeah. But he'd be like, okay, goodbye. And I'd be like, I'm not spending $200 for one minute anymore. Oh, yeah, I have that. That's my psychiatrist right now. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah. yeah, it's not too bad. The other day I forgot I had an appointment and I was literally like in the middle of Central Park, like going for a, a run, <laughs> a walk. Yeah. No, um, no, no. And been. I literally like sat on a bench in the middle of Central Park and was like, okay, so the Wellbutrin dose is good. Like, yeah. that's, like I have no shame at that. Point. No, I mean, um, well, everyone in New York, yeah. it's like, if you're not, I used to do a if joke about how, yeah, <laughs> I used to literally do a joke about how not being depressed in New York made me like the saddest, loneliest person in the world. I'm like, nobody here can possibly understand what I'm going through. I can't oh help it. It's just my ba- brain chemistry. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I do feel like so much of this book is literally listing people who are successful. I actually wanted to get into it. She talks about how Abraham Lincoln and Britney Spears both have bipolar disorder. Britney is Spears that totally true? does, exactly. but I don't know Abraham Lincoln. How do we know that about Lincoln? She spelled Britney Spears' name wrong. She spelled it I'm T-T-A-N-Y. Yes. They, I can't spell Literally, it everyone on Twitter does that. It really drives me insane. Um, I don't. I, I wonder if Britney would have had bipolar disorder if she'd been allowed to like live and die in Canada. Allowed to have bipolar disorder. <laughs> no, but I just mean like, yeah. like what is bipolar, like can you give it to yourself? <laughs> do you know what I mean? I mean, well, I think that with mental Mm -hmm. illness, I think that like a lot of these more severe mental illnesses are kind of like your brain is like hardwired for something and then something can kick it into gear. Do you know what I mean? Like that you're sort of predisposed to certain things and then life circumstances really like shoot you, shoot you off in a cannon. And I think that Brittany for sure does have that. I and wonder, because like, didn't Selena Gomez also just get come out as being diagnosed with bipolar disorder? Is that yeah, true? Yeah, she did. So I do wonder. And came out with a beauty line. Also, oh, what's Amanda Bynes' thing? <laughs> it's like a two-faced palette. <laughs> For your highs and your lows. Go day to night or manic to depressive. <laughs> the that perfect life. so great. That sounds like so offensive. Like when Moschino had those pill bags and everyone was mad about it. Yes. Those were everything. Come on. Everyone's mad at come everything. With a, with a manic depressive eyeshadow palette. Can I say when she talks about manic depression and she goes, the mania is the meal and the depression's the bill. I thought that was so <laughs> that funny. Was so funny. That's so true. I just feel like, oh my God, I actually had an interesting, so my brother, my brother's girlfriend, 
my boyfriend's sister <laughs> is in med school right now. And she, uh, she wait, just, you just called your boyfriend, your brother, but then his sister, his girl, do you know what I mean? I just like mixed it up. All right, Freud. <laughs> <laughs> okay. My boyfriend's sister, um, is in med school. And she just told me that the Selena lupus stuff is all definitely true. Um, because she said anybody with like access to medical knowledge will tell you that cocaine doesn't even affect your kidney or liver that because you have a two we have two filtration systems the kidney and the liver it takes a very long time for drugs to really fuck wait what is the lupus thing i know she has it oh claire well and me well we all kind everybody of i mean she didn't she was saying like the, so there was a big idea when she got that liver transplant that oh. it was like really a drug and alcohol thing and not and they were using she lupus got a to kidney cover transplant. for it. Okay, kidney. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She stole that kidney from Francesca. What's her name? Yeah, who oh, she's, yeah. Not she's even... like not friends with the girl who no. Gave her a kidney. Yeah. And we just watched this TikTok where this girl is doing the interview, Francesca, and she says in it that when she found out they were a match, it was Selena who told her on FaceTime, and that apparently Selena had like paid off the doctors to give Selena the information before Francesca, so that then she felt like kind of like she had to give it like because because like oh if someone God. calls you and is like guess what, we're a match, then you're like, wow, okay, let's do this. But like, if you found out first that you were a match, like it's your decision decision to tell me that you want to give me a kidney. She should have, you know what she should have done? She should have gotten um, a selenator on Twitter. Yes. yes. Like been like, who has like this blood type? She hey. didn't need to steal and it from her. And then someone would be like, you know, a big Selena Gomez fan would be like, Selena Gomez has my kidney. Yeah, yeah. that would be like that a win-win. Like for them. What if yeah. she did it like a, a meet win -win. and greet where like the cost of the ticket is a kidney? Uh, She'd be like, I, I will share a hotel room, not hotel room, what's it called? A hospital room for 45 minutes <laughs> <laughs> with whoever yes. gives me a kidney. And we can talk about whatever you want. We'll take selfies. <laughs> You could, would she could have made it into a music video. Well, we're matching outfits and they will be hospital gowns. <laughs> Her fans are like weirdly intense. For oh my God, they're yes. psychopaths. Yeah. Remember when Haley Bieber like almost got murdered because oh they God. were like... Fucking one of my TikTok friends, I won't name names, he made a video about Selena Gomez. I forget, he made a joke like at her expense. They looked him up on LinkedIn, the Selenators, looked him up on LinkedIn and like emailed his boss. What the fuck? And was like... <laughs> this guy is saying mean things about Selena Gomez and the boss who's like this old guy was like uh who the fuck is that <laughs> and I don't care that Unhinged. is psychotic I really feel like the way that people cannot this book actually like really made me wonder what it would be like if it came out today because yeah. the way that people cannot take a joke about sensitive topics like if and it's not even the joke can be completely inoffensive but if you say a word that has complex connotations, mm -hmm. then people lose their fucking mind. Like, you know what my favorite response we get when like they're trying to cancel us on TikTok is they'll be like, where's the joke? Like what's supposed to be funny? And it's always like, whatever you're getting offended at, that was the part that was supposed to be funny. Yeah, and it's yeah. like, said, flip it. Like, funny. literally if you took a highlighter and showed where you're offended, that's also <laughs> where my, that's what the joke was. Highlighter would yeah. go. Also like you're 16. Shut the fuck up. Of course you oh don't my know what God. a joke is. You don't know what anything is. They don't know what anything is. Like you haven't taken AP US history. They don't know. so mad about, just like, it literally is, it will be like a word. The way oh, that yeah. she like just constantly is like talking about all the gays in her life, the way that she like, 
like <laughs> turns every man in her life her bald and gay. gay. Yeah. And I'm just like, that is very funny. But I wonder if like certain things like that. There's she just had one, one part thing that I was like, oh, this could not come out. Wait, Are you talking say? about the part where she says that her mom was not raped, but like was? Oh, no. <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> I don't think you get canceled for that mm. because she obviously oh. is on the right side. She, I know. She I know, doesn't. But, she's not saying it wasn't rape, so it was okay. But do you know what I mean? I just feel like the way that she like uses like trigger words brashly is the thing. Like none of it is untrue. None of it is unfunny. None of it is whatever. I would say there was one thing that I think might have been offensive. Oh. Wait, what was it? (laughs) I think when she talks about how her father ended up marrying an Asian, a Chinese woman and then goes on to date everyone in Chinatown and then she said it's because he had gotten so many facelifts at that point that he looked Asian himself. They were a matching set. I went, (laughs) how long have we been talking? Um, about 51. Oh, shit. So we should probably wrap it up. Well, we haven't even gone to Paul Simon. Oh, yeah. You oh. can do that because you know I don't give a shit about music. Okay. Well, I <laughs> Wait, fucking I, I don't think love I've ever heard of Paul Simon song. Simon <laughs> and Garfunkel. Oh. Like, when she calls him a 60s legend, he's like the 60s. It's like, like him and Bob Dylan. Like, also Paul Simon and Art Garfunkel. And like, who's Garfunkel? You know what I mean? It's like, Paul <laughs> Simon is it. It's so important. And she married him. And she talks about how she like really conflated his songwriting and musicality with like who he was and I was like god damn it I relate to the fact that you were just like if he writes these beautiful songs he must be an That's incredible person you and never then, take creative man exactly That's one of my most noble causes I genuinely agree with that in every way you need yeah. to date Ask someone me about who, my finance boyfriend <laughs> oh literally I have a date with a lawyer for Jeffries later tonight it's so Period. important to date someone who has a boring job but like yes. un- not even is funny but understands what's funny That's all you Need. That's all they need. A boring job. My, and in fact, the less jokes they make, the better. Can I tell you my they Jeffries shouldn't make bit? any jokes. They need to laugh at my jokes. <laughs> Whenever I meet somebody who works for Jeffries, I like to be like, oh, Jeffries Grocer in the West Village because there's a restaurant there <laughs> called Jeffries. And then when they say no, I go, oh, Jeffries like that shirt company. And then I like to pretend I don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> this date tonight is my second date with him. Can I still pull that bit? Or yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. You can yeah, be like, back right. to you. Or I'll like you know walk him through West Village and be like, oh, is this where you work? But like, it's a restaurant. <laughs> yeah, he's like, actually, we already talked about yeah you're like we're on the upper east side you're like this is not on the way but trust me (laughs) we have to walk past this place for my joke um (laughs) be like you wouldn't get it because you aren't funny exactly (laughs) you work in what is it finance okay (laughs) um anyway I do think I like really understood the way that like especially growing up in this showbiz family the way that you like get to meet you do get to meet your heroes Mm. and then she is also this like interesting eccentric woman and so he loved her but like I also thought the way that they talked about their relationship where she says that they were two flowers with like no one was tending to the either of them like no one why can't you Mm -hmm. be concise if your life like literally this is a quote (laughs) well then say it there's two flowers no gardener Beautiful. I mean, it's just a quote Gorgeous. from the book. Eva Gardner. Was the, I didn't remember the exact quote. I know. It's just funny how you make everything so wordy. Because mm-hmm. I know not a lot of words, but I say them all. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Mike Nichols said that. That's who that quote came from. Oh. Mm. Okay. I think that's just like dating a feminine man, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, it's dating like a, a narcissist. I'm getting gender roly here, but Go you know, the woman, the woman exists. The man does things. That's what a heterosexual relationship is to me. And you can see that she like didn't know that. And so she Mm -hmm. dated. She talks about when she started dating the father of her child, Mm -hmm. that like the fact that he did 
pretend to her was like the reason she fell in love with him. And you know what was funny is she said the thing he did for her that no one had ever done for her before that was like this the height of caring was he would bathe her. He would give her baths. And I'm like, yeah, you couldn't tell he was gay. That's like the weirdest. <laughs> like he was just like, what's the way we could be naked, which is what men like who like women, but there's like nothing sexual happening. Like, and I can go to lunch. Yeah, he's like, let's get this bitch clean and then I'll get out of here. He's like, literally he turned looking at her naked into a chore. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I think that that's really interesting that she like really pursued this relationship with her creative ideal and yeah. it was 12 years and obviously did not work out. And then as soon as she like met someone who like really cared for her, paid attention to her, she got pregnant immediately. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And then he, like, one year later, it turned out he was gay. Yeah. Tough stuff and bald. Tough stuff. Uh, Tougher stuff. I'd rather gay than bald. Yes. Honestly, me too. Rather anything than bald. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Oh, yeah. I want to talk about the Bob Dylan story. Oh, yeah. And then Mm. should we all give our final thoughts? Because I guess it it has been a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Um, The Bob Dylan story is so funny because I guess while she was to make Paul Simon jealous, she randomly gets a call from Bob Dylan. Who he, he was like, he wants to speak to you. And it was not romantic at all. He wanted to know if she had any ideas for what he could name a cologne. (laughs) Oh my god, her ideas I, were like ambivalence and yes. uh, forget what else. Yeah, I, I don't was, remember what they were, but I remember her reaction empathy. being like, like I just have random cologne names rattling around in my head. Luckily, I do. Yeah. <laughs> and then the funniest part, and so then the Bob Dylan story, and so she tells George Lucas, and George Lucas is like, don't worry about it. Whenever he's on the road, he likes to imagine getting a normal job where he could just like <laughs> that not was be on the so road. Funny, and that is so like everyone I know who's successful is like, what if I gave it all up? And you're like. Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Then why did you do all of it if you're just going to give it up? But then she invites Bob Dylan to uh, a dinner party where Meryl Streep is. Yeah. And he goes up to Meryl Streep and goes, I love you in that movie. And then he can't come up with the name. So he makes Meryl Streep name all of her own movies until they get to the one that Bob Dylan loved her in. And it's Ironweed, which is, even, is not that? a movie I've ever heard of yeah. in my life. <laughs> Oh, God. Uh, to be Bob Dylan. So, at the end of this, how do you feel about her? How do you feel about everything that she thinks? What is your final takes on Carrie? Um, I, I love Carrie, of course. Very inspired by her. Very inspired by her ability to be humble um, and be so grateful for the life that she is given and then the actual like fucked up things that happen to her be able to make that into a joke like yeah. the way she starts it I mean is like uh, if my life wasn't funny it would just be true and that is unacceptable and yeah. I love that quote um, yeah just love her. I mean, I did. I like love her now. I'm gonna- I love her now. I like cannot believe how funny she was. And I can't believe how funny it, it's not jokey. It's like genuine. They're just like a funny family, you yeah. know? And she's just like a genuinely funny person. Like, that's, yeah, you can tell that's just her perspective. It's not like she wrote out all this sad. She's like, what's like, the bit in this, this tragedy? Yeah. She's yeah. just like the way I'm going to describe this tragedy is very funny. And you'll just roll with it. Exactly. And I also, boy, did I. I think the fact that it was a play that turned into a book and then we were talking about like 
when we look at these women who write memoirs, we mostly read women. It's like, what were they trying to get out of this? I do believe the fact that it was formatted in this way of like, I'm trying to remind myself of who I am. You don't read this like she has anything to prove. She has anything, any story to set straight. Mm -hmm. She really is just trying to honestly tell herself like, who am I as somebody who has been given a lot, who has had a couple of three and a half main problems? Like, what does it all come to? And because of that, it feels... So honest and loving and like compassionate and funny and like light, but it doesn't take itself seriously. Like never once is she like let, I feel like this is the first book we've read that has not had a let me set the record straight on this tabloid drama. Like she really is. This is for her to sort through and be like, am I Princess Leia? Am I the daughter of Debbie Reynolds? Like so... I don't know. That's something I really respect about her because she has been painted so badly in so many different ways of like, oh, she's getting old. She's getting fat. She's gone crazy. And at no point does she attempt to like refute that. Like she just, she doesn't care if she does, does care. She just thinks it's funny. Yeah. I have to, I just remembered the only thing I'd ever seen in her, her in before this is my favorite episode of 30 Rock. I like wrote an essay on it in college <laughs> oh my called Rosemary's Baby. And that sounds like, but it's about in it. She plays an old female comedy writer who basically Liz Lemon worshiped. And then as she meets like Liz Lemon leaves 30 rock to go work with her. And like, she gets her in this feminist thing. And she's basically like, I like, I died for your sins. And it's this idea of this poor old writer who had gone through the fucking hell as a female comedy writer in like the seventies. Yeah. And Tina's like, I worshipped her, but I could, like, she's, and it broke her. I can't yeah. end up, and it's so good. I highly recommend finding it and watching it if it's, you want to. I, I remember it. Carrie Fisher, it's so good. It's such, like, such an interesting, like, take on, like, what we owe the women who came before. And, mm. like, I don't know how much work there is left to do. And Yeah. Yeah. No, I, ugh. So, thank you so much for picking this book because my god I'm gonna reread it there's like so much good advice in here Me there's too. like it's so great. god that problems versus inconveniences I like sent it to my dad I sent it to my mom to send to my dad because I was like I don't want him to feel like I'm insulting him um <laughs> but um my god does he make a problem out of everything and it's just like it's an inconvenience yeah. <laughs> or for me um you don't have to like everything you do. Yeah. So, I sent that to you. That was, I was like, I mean, that, that is. really is like, when she says, she's like, when I learned that sometimes you can just be uncomfortable, get, but get the job done. That's being responsible. I was like, get that fucking tattooed on my heart. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. And people can find you on TikTok. You're Glam Demon. Glam Demon 2004. They've probably uh, already, were you born in 2004? No, it's just my favorite. Like, I did that culture. math at first and I was really freaked out for a no. second. And then I was like, thank God you're not like, what is that, 12? I 17. Can't. Every time I like thirst mm. comment on like a 40 year old's uh, TikTok or Instagram or whatever, I get scared that they think I'm born in 2004. Uh, it was a good year of pop culture. It was a great year of pop culture. And no, then absolutely. they can listen to your podcast called Let Me Ruin Your Life. Yes. Um, we are, when I like asked her, I was like, oh my God, look, we're next to each other on the new and new noteworthy comedy pod. So, oh my God. Actually, yeah, yeah, it was fun. Um, but check her out. She's so funny. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for having me. This was so much fun. Thanks. And I'm sure we'll see you around if the pandemic ends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you guys so much. See you later.